Welcome back to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 31, Rob Jones. Good morning. Good morning for you. Good afternoon for me. Yeah, apologies. Yeah, it is the afternoon. I'm still in the future, mate. Don't <laughs> worry, it's looking bright. And Zoom is working, so we can actually record a podcast this morning after yesterday's meltdown. Meltdown. I was really looking forward to your talk, actually, on, on Chamonix. Um, yeah. Zoom had other ideas, didn't it? I, I spent so long putting together my presentation as well. Unreal. What have you been up to, mate? Uh, not much. Running, getting ready for our new product that's coming out that's going to change lives. It actually is going to change lives. I'm so excited. We can't we reveal can. it yet, though. It's still no, but we can say S-T-R. S-T-R. All you need to know. What about training, mate? How's that going? How's the weather? The weather is... We've got to ask uh, about the weather. It's beautiful. It's, it's sunny and hot and just glorious. And it's meant to be like this for another week. So there'll be lots of outdoor training. Oh, nice. Is yeah. there any, any mask shaming going on in the UK at the moment? None. It's almost like the only thing people are kicking off about is, is uh, the youths going out and having unlicensed raves in parks. I saw that. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> but other than that, it, it seems like everything's just pretty normal. You have to queue up for things in the shop, but that's it. It's, uh, it's fairly relaxed, to be honest. These, uh, these mask, mask shaming things, it's just huge over here, and it's really it's getting to me. It's Is annoying. It? Well, they just all the data shows that masks work in the lab setting, but once you go outside into normal human interaction settings and you mm -hmm. act as a normal human they're just useless and so i'm pretty conflicted because i i think masks are a waste of time but we should really stick to your government guidelines right yeah. i definitely 100 believe in that so obviously the guidelines are to wear a mask so that's what i'm doing but it's just like I don't, i've got no interest in going cycling with a mask on absolutely none oh is it um do you have to cycle with a mask on as well? Around yeah. Al Qudra. Oh. Al Qudra. And then if you don't, someone sees you and then they kick off on Facebook and everyone's a mask officer on Facebook. And I'm like, surely people have got better things to do. And like, if you don't want to put yourself at risk, then don't go out in, in public. I mean, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate one, right? Yeah. But I just have no interest in getting mask shame. So I'm staying, staying on my uh, turbo at home and, and have you, have you customized any masks yet? Have you added any date decals or drawn on any? Made them nope. A bit more when, I go running, when I run outside, I just wear a, a buff. Ah, uh, yeah. Pull that up and over. But, it, you know, it's not easy, especially now. It's, it's getting hot. You know, we're not quite at peak summer yet, but it's, it's definitely warm enough. Um, I just think people need to relax a little bit and not go crazy but that's the whole thing around this coronavirus isn't it as it's played out is the media have just blown the world out of proportion with how how bad coronavirus was and now the economy is screwed for it so thanks a lot media mm. <laughs> let's thanks not go down that rabbit let's not no, go down that rabbit hole let's talk about running you shall we yeah wow isn't, you've got one, you've got something interesting rather large piece of news large from, uh, our friend well, he's not our friend, but we've talked about him before, Zach Bitter. Not yet. We'll try. We'll try, yeah. Maybe he'll be our friend one day. He has set, uh, it's unreal, but he's gone on his treadmill and he's set the 100-mile world record and in, time, in line with that, the 12-hour record. Yeah. So he has gone, let me just get my stats here. He's done the 100-mile treadmill record in 12 hours, 9 minutes, and 15 seconds. Yeah. Which is seven seventeen per mile, which I haven't quite worked that out in kilometers yet, but it's, it's fast. And he's also at the same time set the 12-hour uh, record as well with 98.64 miles. So obviously he did both of those at the same time. Okay, I've got the stats for you for the 100-mile treadmill. I've just figured it out. Good. So his 100-mile treadmill, 160 kilometers, was an average pace of 4.33 per K. There you go. 
unbelievable. That's and, just and he, nuts. He broke the 12 hour record. No, he broke that record by 32 minutes. Oh my God. 100 miles. Can you believe that? And he did it staring just on his treadmill, staring at the, at the wall. He, he had a live feed on him mm-hmm. um, of people watching, which I'm sure helped. But uh, yeah, can you imagine that? 12 hours on your treadmill just going at 4.35 pace. <laughs> and he probably went a little bit faster so that he could um, take a little rest, jump off, go to the toilet, etc. Yeah, I mean, it's just nuts. And he, told, he said a little bit about what he, what he had in terms of nutrition. He drank um, 10 bottles of S Fuels liquid, which is 200 calories um, per bottle. And he had potato chips. Uh, yeah, so crisps, potato Crisp. chips, <laughs> and liquid calories. That's what you want. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and he oh. calculated his hydration for minimal bathroom breaks. Is that what it was? That's how he worked it out. Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose as soon as you, you, if you hop off the treadmill, everything pauses, right? Yes. So you've got it, the but, time keeps going, but the distance stops. Yeah. And he had to have a backup treadmill, which he did use because he thought the treadmill he was on was creating too much heat and it was heating the room up. So he jumped over to another treadmill uh, so that obviously that one wasn't hot because it hadn't been used. So he let the other one cool down and then jumped on his, on his backup treadmill. <laughs> Just amazing, amazing uh, feat. Pro athletes are nuts. Yeah. Big time, big time. Uh, Mate, there's a, another virtual, I know we're saying another virtual uh, I don't know, challenge going on, but this one actually sounded quite cool because you, yeah. you get something, well, you get a virtual something for it, don't you? Do you yeah. want to tell us what that's about? So I got sent this. This is um, from a company called, or a website, The Conqueror Events. And they have, uh, they have challenges online. So what, what it does, you go outside, you run, you swim, you bike. Um, depending on what your preferred modality is. And you can link their website and their app to your Strava. So you can set yourself a challenge to swim the English Channel, run the length of the Grand Canyon, run the length of Hadrian's Wall, do the Inca Trail, run from John O'Groats to Land's End, run the whole of uh, Route 66, um, or adding custom challenges yourself where you run set distances or swim set distances, or cycle set distances, and they track it all through their app. When you've completed that distance, they'll send you a, a medal that says, you know, John O'Groats to Land's End, or the Grand Canyon, or the English Channel, and it'll have your time, how long it took you, you get a certificate, you can get a finisher's t-shirt, which I know you love. Oh. And it's just, it's a really, I thought it was a really cool way to get people moving virtually and um, get something out of it, like say, oh, actually, I ran the length of John O'Groats to Land's End in three months, but it took me 17 hours or whatever it might be. Obviously not 17 hours, but it took me 170 hours. Um, yeah, really cool. And the medals actually look really, really cool, really high quality. Um, not too dissimilar to our May challenge, was it? I know, I know. <laughs> Same high quality, but ours was free. And it's, yeah. you know, it's actually, it's a, it's a good price for this. I think it's about, if you want all the, the whims and whistles to come with your, with your event and with your challenge and you get the t-shirt and you get the medal and you get the medal presentation box, which you can hang up on the wall and you can, they're all hexagons. So you can stick extra ones on as you complete all these challenges and make a really nice mosaic. If you like, it's about thir- yeah, it's about 30 pounds. So that was that about 150 dirhams. Oh, there you go. It's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. I like the fact you can add your own custom challenges in as well. And with those custom challenges, you could get a custom medal. Wow. Wow, there'll go. be some real running noises out there doing that, won't there? Yeah, definitely. So it's called, it's yeah, the, co- the Conqueror, the conqueror Challenge or the Conqueror Events, it's called. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do a Conqueror event, we'd like to hear about it. We'd like to know which route you did and what your customized medal looks like. That'd mm. be quite cool to look at. And how long it took you? Yeah, give us some stats. We like stats here. 
Because that is interesting because you could set up an event and race some of the professionals, but you could obviously take bricks. So say you wanted to, um, you might want to run a hundred miles. You might want to try and break Zach Bader's record, but you might do it outside and you might spit it up over the course of three weeks. That could yeah. be quite fun. I actually like you your post the other day, mate, where you, it was a year since you did the marathon on the track, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's cool. The 105 by uh, 400. 105, 105 by 400. That's my, that's my PB marathon. <laughs> I need to run a fast marathon soon. Well, today's show, we have on one of our own coaches. He's mm. our newest endurance coach. He came on in I think September. No, that's wrong. December last <laughs> year in 2019. And... Obviously, the economy is a hot topic at the moment, but we're a running podcast, so we decided to pull on Mr. Rob Foster to talk all about run economy. I like what you did which there. Which actually follows on from last week's show with Matt Watson around plyometrics very, very well. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, people, and I can imagine people will have a few questions after this one, so please let us know. Um, you can get us on Instagram, you can get us on email. If you don't know those by now, you should, but we will tell you at the end what those are. And enjoy the show with Mr. Rob Foster. Here we go. Here he is, Mr. Rob Foster. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Hello. Morning. Finally on it. Yeah, you've been on the Inner Fight show, which uh, to intro you, but yeah, you've never been on the Run Strong podcast. It's now taken it's all this time. It's taken all this time. Mate, how, you've been in Dubai now over six months. Is it seven months yet? No, we're coming up six. Fifteen days until it's six months. Really? Yeah, it's been, been intense. Different place. But yeah, really enjoying it. Okay, here is my, my typical Dubai questions for you. Question one, have you done a brunch? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay, what? fail. Question two, have you gone up the Burj Khalifa? No. Oh my goodness. Question three, have you done a camelback ride? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> no one does this. That's one more than I've been, I've done, and I've been here a lot longer. Yeah, no. Yeah, you have. I've been here ten years. I've never sat in the back of a camel. Why not? It's a lovely you've got, experience. You've got the order all wrong. You've done enough brunches, though, mate. You cancel it out. Yeah, it's too, definitely true. <laughs> How's your running changed shape since moving here mate you you're you're in new zealand before you're from from the uk but you're in new zealand before you came here how has your running since you arrived changed city life city life yeah so in um new zealand i basically just ran trying to get used to um long distances for the for the marathon and i ran recreationally and then tried to supplement with the cycling however coming here it got a lot more focused and the track Tuesdays and the coffee runs and more focused and harder sessions has basically made me a bit quicker, which meant I got a PB in a half marathon, which was pretty decent. And then I got a PB in the marathon, which was expected because it was flat as a pancake. <laughs> Give us some data, mate. We love stats here. Uh, so the marathon was 250, my Strava said, or 251. And the half marathon was 117. Bang on. Amazing. I mean, it, it kills me for you to be a minute faster than me at Dubai Marathon, I've <laughs> got to say. But I'm also very proud that we have such fast coaches on our team. But, ah, oh, one minute. Can't one minute. That's all, that's all that focused, like, focused my, my pain. My knee was <laughs> knackered. And I was like, oh, there's the timer. And then this Geordie lad came by me and said, Oh, I've seen you all over social media. Let's go. So I said, all right, then. There's another Geordie. Let's go. That's and you ran, you ran about 30 kilometers of that race with your shoelaces untied. That's where you Top were in the tip. nickname Laces, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Top tip. Do your laces up. And then before the half marathon, um, Rob Jones came along and said, are they, are they done up properly today? I was like, yeah. He said, just do three, do three knots. I was like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Brilliant. Mate, last week we had Matt Watson on talking about plyometrics. Have you listened to that show? Yeah, I had a good listen. That was decent. Yeah, so we, we figured this week 
run economy would make sense to talk about and actually tell us a little bit about your background with run economy mate why why have we pulled you on here to to talk to us about it god knows no um <laughs> i basically at university i studied sports science and my undergrad dissertation was on the effect of run economy at race pace and the differences between sub-maximal and then say a 10k race pace and what a fa- what factors affected that so it was because uh, my my initial passion in life and, and athletics and endurance was running it seemed a natural thing and it always interested me why you look at the top right like runners in the world and they look exactly the same you know their training is basically the same but why does one win so it just led into that and then i studied it and found minimal minimal differences <laughs> due to a really flawed uh, uh, methodology and then kept kept reading about and kept trying to practice it and implementing people's training to get them faster for less okay so you've touched a little bit on what, what run economy is there i think some people might be thinking is it the amount of money i spend on running and the payback i get back for it what break down run economy for us and the listeners in its most basic form in its most ba- well i'll give you a definition for starters um, so running economy is typically defined as the energy demand for a given velocity of submaximal running. Now, to some people that might sound like complete nonsense. It's basically how much oxygen it takes to run at a certain speed. So you've got Jeff 1 and Jeff 2 running at 10 kilometers an hour, and it's how much oxygen it requires per kilogram of body mass for them to run at that speed. So that's pretty much it. If you think about a car, I like the car analogy because it's, it's quite relevant. It's got all these moving parts and it's not just one thing that makes up how economic or how many MPG you do to the MPG you do. It's, it's all about the sum of the parts. So it's like, it's your cardiovascular system or you call that your engine. Um, it's biomechanical efficiency. So that's the transfer into your wheels. So how you relate that energy into your wheels um, efficiency, so how well you like neuromuscular, so how well that's activated. Um, it's loads of masses, masses of little different factors that combine to give you this, this final figure. It's very complex, but it's very trainable, which is why it interests me. So, yeah, so you've just said all this, all these masses and masses of data goes in to give this final figure. Well, how does how is the figure? quantifiable so how would um the run economy of let's say bill and bob are equal athletes in terms of pace and times for their marathon times let's say but one is my weight and one is your weight and for those that aren't watching i'm probably (laughs) nearly (laughs) i'm at least 1.5 of rob foster (laughs) yeah at least so um running economy just to make it so it's like it's leveled across fields um in terms of weight it's given in milliliters per kilogram um per minute so, so milligrams of, of oxygen okay per kilogram of body mass per minute so it's a very similar metric and probably something why you why you understand it well mate is because it's very similar to power to weight ratio on the bike mm. yeah so I mean, that's still power to weight ratio. You can get your head around because you can see your watts on your computer if you have a power meter, and you know what obviously what your weight is. How, with run economy, how can we, as the, the public, is there a way of seeing what your run economy is, in the way you've just described milliliters per kilogram of body weight? If you get yourself into a lab and start breathing into a Douglas bag. That, that's the best way and that's a scientific way in terms of running economy on the actual road when you're out out and about you can get mm. run power which is taking leaps and bounds in terms of reliability so that can relate quite nice actually it's a really good way to to sort of cut out the chaff in terms of heart rate because run economy uh, run power sorry gives you some pretty decent and immediate feedback which takes away hills, environmental changes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or you can take your run from four weeks ago, have a look at it, do it again, like exactly the same run, exactly the same distance, same time of day. And you can look at your heart rate if that stays the same, but then you get faster. 
your run economy might be going up or your fitness might be going up. So okay. both. So we, it's kind of a retrospective um, yeah. data point rather than real time as you see within, within your cycling or maybe your pace or heart rate, which you also might say heart rate's retrospective, but not in relation to run economy as we're looking at it. Yeah. Interesting. So how, I mean, you obviously started to study it, what, when you were on your undergrad, how many years ago was that? Nearly 10? Oh, yeah. It's sad. And even in that time, there's not been a way of, of making it a quantifiable metric for real-time analysis. Yes. Yeah. What, though, has been understood in that time that you may not have known back then? How we, can we improve run economy or affect it? So since my undergrad, um, Saunders, et cetera, they, in 2006, they did a paper on the effect, like the factors affecting run economy. And they've, they've, that's stayed pretty much true throughout the effects of these different, um, call it, what do you call it? Just the, just the intervention. There you go. Got it there. Okay. Um, is uh, is how much effect these have. So last week, obviously, you had a guy doing plyometrics, and he did it also did a little tutorial for us on that, and that was that's been shown to have up to six percent increase in um, running economy. Now the warm up and where this lies in terms of your training has been has been shown to be um, directly before a run. Like a, a plyometric based warm up can increase your running economy. Um, six weeks worth of interventions of two or three plyometric sessions a week. That was also shown. Nutrition wise, oops, sorry, wobbled my, um, my iPad there. Nutrition wise, you've got the likes of beetroot, that's coming to a massive fall in terms of increasing your economy. Um, just nitrates basically in your um, in your nutrition. There's been a thought on like the eighty twenty that we all know and love, and the effect that this has, and how it's changed in elite athletes and how it affects the running economy. So running faster makes you more economical as opposed to like fitter. If that makes for that, sense. For that, you're referring to eighty percent of your training's aerobic and twenty percent is. Speed work, interval work. Speed work, yeah. So that's that's taken a shift in, in elite level athletes, and um, quite recently actually, in the, in the last couple of years, to a seventy thirty split. In like the top top endurance athletes, and it's theorised that more time training at your race pace or just above it makes you more economical. It's not necessarily change in VO two max; it's a change in how economical you are. On the, so ground contact time, um, how you activate your muscles and how, how this skill is actually learned because people often forget that like running is a massive skill and it takes a lot of time and practice. So you practice more at your race pace and you get more efficient there or economical, as we say. Um, resistance training has, again, that's taken on um, a huge part of any endurance runners or athletes um, life. Resistance training has been and it's been theorized way back when from when like Jack Daniels at all in like the 91 said that this could actually affect it, but it's how it's implemented into your training, which has had the biggest effect. So it's gone from like, just do like 10 reps, 12 reps down to just five reps. So like the intensity and explosive training has taken a, a much more of a, a compartment within your training. It's, it's really interesting stuff. And environmental changes, there's been more and more stuff in altitude and how that affects how efficient you are and economic you are when you go into a two, three, four-week block in altitude and come back down to ground level. You're seen to be or shown to be much more economical just by how much oxygen you can deliver to the working muscles. Simple stuff like that. And um, muscle, like muscle <laughs> stiffness. Recently, like we're talking 2019, 2020 time, there's been a lot of um, research into like <coughs> mindfulness, like how mindful you are and breathing techniques around running. So there's just been one released in March. Exactly, yeah. Who would have thunk it? But 
thinking like thinking about your own technique and being mindful about it and be having some good like coping strategies about stress for the respiratory stress uh it's been shown to increase your running economy it's still it's in, like naive so it's it's just started to get a lot of focus on it but i think that mindfulness is such a big thing and the power of the brain especially kipchoge when he looks so calm running at three minute k's and he says that it's all in his head that's just getting more and more attention um lastly probably the most controversial and you've done a couple of podcasts on it is the old shoes those bloody shoes right <laughs> the, the vapor flies four percent four percent six percent i mean it's absolutely mental how much difference they can make so you train everything perfectly your vo2 max is topped out you're super economical and you stick on a pair of well carbon plated bent carbon plated shoes and you get a massive return and increase your um, economic economy by four percent mate i love the love that you've just said you get your vo2 max as high as you can and you get as a you run as efficiently as you can, and then you can put the shoes on. Most yeah. people go shoes first, and then the rest will come later. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's ballistic. That's what I was going to say to you. Um, so all the things you mentioned up until that point were really sort of long strung out, so you have to train resistance training. You're not going to get instantaneous returns from that training at altitude again you're not going to get instantaneous returns so everything is is six seven eight weeks down the line but what is there anything that you can do that is almost instantaneous that can affect your run economy other than those bloody four percent four percent is there's not wrong with that apart from it changes the whole foundations of the olympic sport and fair play and equal playing field um <laughs> Plyometrics before you actually run um, was recently shown in 2019 to increase your running speed up to 6% in like 10k an hour and range between like 4.5 to 6%. And that was literally just before you ran. So including plyometrics in your warm-up, so the stuff that we do at Track Tuesday, or sort of at Track Tuesday, um, can increase your running speed potentially. So we're talking our A-skips, um strides bounds pogos bounds all those sort of things so it's not like you have to go which we touched on a little bit last week but people hear plyometrics and they think oh, i need to go find something to jump off or jump onto it's really it's fast it almost needs its own term doesn't it it's like running drills or running plyometric mm -hmm. drills will yeah. help will help with the run economy 100 percent, yeah so that's, that's the only thing I can really think of that jumps to my mind um, before you actually run like instantaneous improvements. Okay. What about, and, and, you say about mindfulness, what about now thinking in terms of where we are in Dubai for, for summer, how would maybe some pre-cooling or being a little bit different mindset around temperature affect your run economy as well? Yeah, I can't see it hurting a bit of pre-cooling, especially when it's super hot and relaxing, so not getting too stressed about pace necessarily and just allowing, like, focusing on the actual run itself as opposed to the external factors could definitely help. Pre-cooling for sure would help. So stick on, a, stick on a nice wet, cold jacket before you go for a run. Happy days. As long as you can bring your core temperature down a little bit, then your economy will fly up. That's, a, that's one of the like, metabolic efficiency or your core temperature is a huge factor in running economy. Mm -hmm. I guess as well, is there a fine line between what you can do that can improve your running economy and also be detrimental? So take plyometrics, for example. If you, if you did a few good warm-up exercises of plyometrics, fantastic, your running economy increases. But if you do far too much, then you're going to be too fatigued and it's going to reduce your running economy. So is there, is there any limit to what you can do or is there a fine balance? Or? I think you don't want to induce too much fatigue for sure before a run. You don't want to absolutely cook yourself and you don't want to start just throwing these things in ad hoc. That's a real danger. So people hear run economy and they think, right then, let's get the shoes. Let's start doing like massive five by fives 
on the squat rack and they add all these things into their current training volume and they just overtrain. What you need to look at is maybe taking something out, replacing it with say your warm up or two times or three times uh, short 30 minute plyometric sessions a week and seeing if that does affect your run speed. So little, little changes and then measure how the outcome of them by taking your usual routes or taking a sub-maximal speed. So if you know like 80% of your speed, just do that and see what your heart rate does or go at your heart rate and see what your speed does. Yeah. Yeah. So constantly measuring it. Mate, I've got a question around strength training. And if that shows to boost run economy, should we be doing strength training all the way up to a, to a race? So through maybe what you might call a peak block? Maintenance, a little bit, yeah, maybe. But um, the groundwork of that has to be done in the base phase when your performances are less important. So as you approach your performance, you want to be as fresh as possible and specific as possible. Whereas in the, in the base phase, so winter, when you maybe take a little bit of time off and running isn't as important or performance outcome isn't as important, then that's when you really include it. And then you just cut it as your volume increases. Okay. Yeah. So you're going more towards that 70-30 split that has been shown to be more economical in advanced runners as you're getting closer towards your race day. Interesting. I think one thing people do find is once they start strength training and then adding in their usual runs at the same time, there is that adaptation effect that takes over and you actually might feel that you're not, you're less economical to begin with. But then after a few weeks of, of you know, doing squats or doing your extra glute work or whatever it is, suddenly you feel that little bit more durable, I think, or maybe a bit bouncier as you're running, running down the road on your easy runs that you'd normally feel a little bit tired say it's after a weekend um i definitely noticed that recently when i went into more of a strength block the first two weeks were tough and then suddenly you start thinking oh actually i feel pretty good today normally i feel shattered after a weekend of whatever bike and run but today i'm feeling good and it, and it was the strength work you know two three weeks ago that that's now starting to feel like it's paying off oh 100 yeah what it takes other- time right what other things can we feel when we become more economical? And we've talked a little bit about not being able to see that directly, but you can obviously feeling is instantaneous feedback. What should we be feeling if we're getting more economical? Ease, I think, in control. I think there's a level of like perceived exertion there that when you're running at a speed that maybe four weeks ago you felt absolutely cooked, you feel you're in control. Cadence-wise, I think it's a really good metric to look at. So the more economical you become, it's been found that if you do the drills, if you do the plyometrics, that your cadence naturally rises to around about like 170, 180 steps a minute. So that, that feeling of lightness and la- like less time spent actually on the floor, less stance time. So you should feel like you're just bouncing along in a very, very <laughs> controlled way. It's a strange thing, but you if you stick out the stuff for like four, six, like four to six weeks, allow it to have an effect. So whatever intervention you choose, and then you compare your perceived effort from like four weeks or six weeks ago to now, then you, you'll notice the difference. Like you can breathe easier. You're more relaxed in the upper half. There's not as much up and down movement. You're more focused going forward. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got one. I want to go back to mindset. <clears throat> Is there, obviously, there's this huge research out there, you know, if you walk around and you smile, it makes you happier and your performance can increase. And you see that lots in ultras as well. You see people talking about when they're in the pain cave or they're in the real hurt locker, they just smile or sing to themselves or give themselves positive affirmations. Do you have any mindset interventions that can help with run economy? Or is it just, is it all still a bit ad hoc science wise? There's, there's a few research um, things out there. Um, March, I think this is March, there's one from Northumbria University, which is where I'm from, and they did a study on how much yoga breathing exercises and retraining and coping mechanisms 
helped with their athletes run economy. The, the science, actually the science wasn't great. It's quite a, a basic study. So the numbers of people actually in this test weren't, weren't massive. So you can't really take too much from it, but they didn't really find anything, but they said that previous interventions in other sports has found an effect on mindfulness and coping mechanisms to do with stress and practicing it two or three times a week in terms of yoga and breathing and focus points. That means that when you actually run, it's theorized that you can relax more. The more relaxed you are, the less stress there is respiratory wise. And in your head, you can always calm yourself down. Like it's, it's got to, it's got to have a thing out there. Like people who can deal with stress better, naturally are better athletes. So if we can train it, we can uh, like put a couple of interventions in to make an effect. Then I don't see a reason why it wouldn't work. Like logically it makes sense to me, but. And then worst case, if it doesn't do anything, you're, you're at least running with a big smile on your face. And you're a bit calmer like day to day. If you, if, yeah. you, if you put these things three or four times a week, you're going to, you're taking time to yourself, which is, is only a good thing, right? Exactly. The ultimate goal is to levitate while you run <laughs> through mindfulness. Just, just not touch the floor at all. <laughs> a grand right, contact if, time is zero. <laughs> if we were going to like say the, the day-to-day runners that you deal with or, or triathletes that you deal with, what do you see as being a priority order of all the factors that affect running economy? How would you break them down into a, a priority order? for listeners to really get some, some key takeaways from this show. So, so key takeaways um, in the priority number one, which I believe is a massively important thing is how much you actually train. So we can speak all about these interventions and these alternatives to maximize running economy. But as I said about 10 minutes ago, running is a skill and needs to be practiced. So if you're not out doing the correct sort of training, and actually running, then you're probably not going to get any better if you add these things in. You might get a bit better, but you're still going to be limited. So how much you're running and if it's specific to your race is, for me, first and foremost, the number one. Um, Strength training, I believe, and strength and core work as well, I think comes in number two. And plyometric drills, number three. So all, strength training. All of those are in the Run Strong program, by the way. Just a plug. Oh, there one. we go. I was wondering when you do that. Yeah. I think we've been doing it all the way through, haven't we? Kind of. I just thought I'd <laughs> say it. You know. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so how much you actually train? Strength training within that, and that encompasses core work as well. So, having a having a strong core, an efficient core can is basically the foundation from where your movement starts. So that, that naturally leads to a more efficient runner. I think number four, so plyometrics, sorry. So warm up in plyometrics and including that in your training. Numero four, I think would be thinking about running. So, and running at speed. Uh, Track Tuesday, for example, I love it because it makes people think about what they're doing. Think about what their legs are doing, how they're moving and naturally optimizes your running economy through like stress like (laughs) you don't get much quicker than if you're going full out and you think what the hell are my arms doing so i think run technique and thinking about that and being like mindful good god but being mindful about your your run what are you doing when you're actually running so pickups halfway through a session are really good just to remind the body of cadence what, what's your cadence doing? Why is it dropping out halfway through a session and more ground contact time and you feel like rubbish because your hips are sagging? Like those sort of pickups mid-session are super, super good. So just being aware of what your body's doing. Um, yeah. Four, so I'll do. I think you're, you're pretty much describing to have a real solid running base. Yeah. Which, which is the base the base phase, the base season, the longest block of your training as a runner, triathlete, cyclist, you know, what name your endurance sport, but the base is where you should really be putting the most effort into it. It's not the, might not be the funnest, but it's where we see the biggest um, 
improvement is athletes who, who just trudge along, build up that you know, huge fatigue during their base phase, get it done, tend to have the best peak phases or build phases because they've got that solid structure and foundation behind them. And within the running world, that's probably because they've just been able to become a lot more economical and almost think less with doing more. Yeah, 100%. Such a big part of it, that base phase, isn't it? And you look at all the components of it and how actually complex it is. But people who just get it done and appreciate it for what it is, get the most out of it. So if you, you do the... You, oh, go on. Carry on. I was going to say a huge thing with that then is consistency, isn't it? Because oh. you, can, you can learn a, a French phrase, but you're not going to learn to speak French in a week if you just do it once. You need to just keep going and going and going and going every week, day after day, to get that build. Otherwise, it's effectively useless. Yeah, and quality. Hmm. If it's not quality movement, it sometimes may as well not be there. Of its quality learning French for you. I don't know why I picked that as an example. <laughs> I was trying to think of any French sentences that I know that aren't rude, but I can't say. <laughs> I've, I, actually, I've got a question here. So all of that stuff you mentioned is, is trainable. How much or how big an impact is genetics in all of this? Now you're asking the question, aren't you? Mm. Um. Quite, quite big, actually. So if you, if you look at the emergence of the East Africans in terms of their domination of basically endurance events, plus or minus drugs, doesn't really matter. Um, they're anthropometric. So basically how they are set up as human beings can play quite a large part of it. So springiness and muscle fiber type can have a big effect. And also, it's a <laughs> funny old one, the width of your calf, believe it or not, so basically distal weight. So at the end of your limbs, how heavy they are, has a massive effect on your running economy, especially below the waist. So all the East Africans, and actually take that away, don't even put it into East Africans, just say all like really successful endurance athletes, so runners, like 10K marathon guys, they tend to be quite short in the top half, very, very skinny, and have tiny limbs. That could be something to do with training, of course, but they have a, like a genetically smaller um, calf circumference, so they don't have to push as much energy to move that. Simple fact. It's very hard Other to stuff, cause or effect there, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, East Africans have been research to the hilt and why they're so special and it's just it's almost like they've taken the model of what affects um running economy and they've perfected it they run from a very early age they focus on form as opposed to just junk miles when they're doing quality work they don't eat a lot they train it they train at altitude yada 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 there's uh i've just recently finished um running with Kenyans. How did you? Again, and what, okay. this has just sprung to my mind, but he went looking for the magic ingredients to Kenyan running, whereas maybe he should have been looking at the magic formula to better run economy. Yeah, mm. that's exact. That's, I think, you know what, that's the takeaway I took from that book as well, is the fact that he goes there and he looks for some like secret X factor, but then he just looks at their lives I remember uh, when I was in a 10, I was, I was knocking about with the Kenyan cycling, one of like the only pro Kenyan cycling team. And I said, I was speaking to a guy who, who runs the whole thing, or like coaches them. And I was saying, what, what do you think it is about the runners here that, and the cyclists and the athletes in general, what makes them so good? And it's like simplicity. It's so simple. They train really well. They don't overcomplicate the training. They're trained from a very, very early age. And when they're not training, they're sitting down doing nothing. Mm. I thought it was super interesting when you just strip it all back. And then the guy that's mentioned, that brother Colm O'Connell guy, 
I met him as well and I asked him the same question and I was like, what, what's the crack there? Like, and he's just like, they just train better and they're from nearly age and they want it more. Interesting fact is that he was like, did you know that there's never been an Olympian off the back of a two Olympians like offspring? So there's a child of Olympians never become an Olympian in Kenya. Wow. Cause they don't no, want they, it. No, they don't. It's about, because in Kenya it's an opportunity Exactly. really make yourself something like for us or the joke among westerners is you don't get into sport to unless it's football or golf but to earn mega bucks right you you get into sport because it's something you love whereas in kenya or east africa you you get into sport so that you can actually afford to feed your family and set yourself up to succeed in life yeah they um there was a book, I can't remember which book it was, that I was reading, and they were trying to see how... Because if you look at ultra running, the majority of ultra runners are Western, and the majority of winners are Western. Or, um, and there's, there's very few, you know, Kenyans, Ethiopians that are out running the trails and winning. And so they tried to put some, some Kenyan runners into one of the ultra trails, but they just weren't interested because there's no prize money. It's not going to better their family. If anything, it was more of a cost. There's no gain from them just because they see it as it's a job and I will earn as much money as I can to support my family and my future mm-hmm. generations. But obviously, you know, they would dominate at all these races if they, if the return was big enough. It'd be interesting yeah, if, to see. Oh, they'd actually own it. <laughs> Shake it up a bit. <laughs> they would. They really, it would really be, would. It would be ridiculous. They are so yeah. economical. It's ridiculous. Oh, over stick, ultra stick, distance? Stick them in the mountains as well. Oh, Uphill. Oh. With a bag of Ugali. Off they go. <laughs> oh, go on. That's all they Get need. some Ugali in it. And some chai. Mate, chai thank you Ugali. so much. That is really interesting. And hopefully people have got a ton of takeaways they can, they can take from that. I, for one, as a, as a run coach, pretty much base any sort of run programming around one of the factors that, that, in, that affects run economy because it is obviously the, the holy grail of being a better runner. And hopefully people can understand that a little bit better from this show is that they need a more whole rounded effect to help them within their training and not just focusing on the shoes or that one workout that everyone seems to be doing. It, it's all five as you said different factors all affecting one outcome which is your run economy which is what most runners should be looking to train and succeed and and be better at so yeah really interesting takeaways there and obviously if you've not listened to last week's show on plyometrics we've talked a little bit about plyometrics in this show you need to go back and listen to matt watson schooling us on what plyometrics really is and how to implement them into your program yeah. You know, after Matt's, um, after Matt's talk with us as coaches and then also the podcast, I went and Googled plyometrics for runners and Googled plyometrics for cyclists as well. And the amount of stuff that came up as essential plyometrics, Matt's just gone and rubbished it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not plyometrics. That's not plyometrics because when you break well, down was... the six phases. Yeah. yeah. That, the, the key takeaway from Matt for me was how we overcomplicate it and how much is just being glorified by social medias, right? How high can I jump? What's the met? It's almost like, how big are your balls? What, what do you want to jump off or what do you want to jump over when you don't need it? It's very, very simple and well, very, just, very easy to put in. We've just learned big balls don't help run economy. <laughs> slow you down. Fact. <laughs> so yeah, that's an important takeaway as well. <laughs> I know, I know I might have rambled on a little bit there, but running economy, when you look at it, just like you said, Tom, is it's a real, it's, it's, a, it's a complex thing, but if you've got the right coach and you've got the right attitude, then implementing these things to make you a better economical runner is so, so simple. Take away all the noise and you're just left with simple things. Awesome. Mate, thank you so much for coming on. We'll get you on in a few, uh, in a few weeks' time again to let us see how the Dubai summer is affecting your own economy, your mind. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> awesome. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. Have thank you so much for coming. Ta-da. Take care. There we go. Plyometrics, run economy, 
Lots to do, mate. Lots Those to do two, for our listeners now. Well, that's it. Hand in hand. It's interesting that Matt was obviously talking about plyometrics making huge difference. And then bang, in comes Run Economy and plyometrics is up there again. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I'm actually doing a lot of reading and watching around run power now as well, which mm-hmm. I thought I knew a little bit about it. And I'm learning a lot, lot more. So we'll, we might need to get a run power expert on soon to tell us which devices we can trust and which we can't and what it's actually telling us. Because one thing is I'm reading is it's not actually giving us a run power. It's giving us at what percentage of your VO2 max you're really working at. So that fuel, your fuel utilization, which Rob just talked about then in terms of how they measure run economy is actually what running power meters seem to be measuring the best. Yeah. I've, I've actually been looking at them as well because after we've, we've talked about it a few times, but I wanted to see maybe about getting one over here for the UK for my training. And mm. I've emailed a few companies and they all seem to be sort of really affordable. And there's one company that stands out there as a, a huge jump up in price. And it seems that from all the forums and all the stuff I've been reading, they, they seem to be the best in the higher, the higher end technology wise. Which um, one's that? The Stride. Right. That's the only one I can find in studies and things that's actually accurate. Yes, but exactly. Still, it can still be wrong by four to five percent. Mm. I suppose if it's wrong four to five percent, but it's consistently wrong for you, then you're yeah. you're looking if at. It's, if it's reliable, maybe not so valid. Then yes, to a point. Yeah, that that seems better. I have a client with one. He, he's used it for nearly must be close to a year now. Um, we get some good data from it, but mm. it's, still not, it's not a definite switch out from, you know, your pace and heart rate or feel, yeah. which Rob talked about there as well being really important. Definitely. Right. So mate, hopefully next week or the week after we can reveal a brand new program towards listeners. Which is oh yeah. Exciting. In the meantime, if you are doing the conquer challenge, is that what it was? Conquer challenge? Yes. Let us know. We want to hear about it. We want to know what route you've done. We want to know if you've customized your medal or if you've gone for their standard, one of their standard we, ones. Definitely. Or even if you're just doing any challenge of any endurance feat, we want to know. We do want to know. And if it's good enough, we'll get you on here to talk to us about it. Definitely. Awesome. Right. Brilliant. That's it. Next week, we'll be back. Show 32. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email endurance at innerfight.com if you want to get in touch with rob jones over in the uk currently he is on instagram at rob jones endurance or rj at innerfight.com and if you want to get in touch with me i'm here still in the dubai i won't be leaving anytime soon i'm here for summer (laughs) i can't wait it is tom walker fitness on instagram or tw at innerfight.com hope you all stay safe out there If you are in a country that requires a mask, please wear it at all times. If you're not, enjoy the fresh air. And we'll be back next week with another show. See you later.